Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter, and beginning with the second verse. And through the gift that God had given to Isaiah, he was able to see even into our day, though he lived many centuries ago. And this is what he predicted. And this is what you and I experience today. He said the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, thou hast increased its joy. They rejoice before thee as with joy at harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor thou hast broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord, let it be. I guess all of us at this time of the year are caught up in about the same thing. We're out trying to look for that uh, perfect gift, whether it be wife, husband, mother, father, sister, brother, and we're out there looking and doing the best we can. Now, I know my wife has been looking for that perfect gift for me the last three years, but she hadn't done too good. <clears throat> and I don't see too much activity around my house now, and so I don't have too much hope. But this desire that we have at this time of the year comes from the deepest place within our hearts and our soul. And it comes from that place that manufactures love and wants to extend it to those that uh, around us that we care respect and hold in high and great esteem and that's the way that it ought to be and the expectancy at this time of the year is absolutely fantastic especially with our young ones when their eyes get bigger saucers when you talk to them about uh, that coming day when they know that they're going to receive a gift of some kind from Santa Claus and it's just, just fantastic, it's wonderful. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to receive a gift as well as it's a beautiful thing to give a gift. 
And you know, I think back to the opening of the book of Luke along about the second chapter and the 25th verse and try to understand something of what this man that the Lord spoke to and told him that uh, he would not die until he had experienced and had seen the promised one. Uh, that uh, he would not die until he had actually laid his eyes upon the Messiah. Now I wonder what this man experienced. <clears throat> what expectation from the time that God told him that until it was fulfilled? Here he, his whole life had been directed in this direction. And all the Jewish people had, uh, were living for that day when uh, they would see the, uh, the arm of the Lord revealed. And this is the one man that we know of that had been told by God uh, that he would not die until this happened. And then the day came and God told him to go to the temple and that he would be able to see what he had wrought. And when he went into the temple and held uh, this, this little one in his arms and he was caught up in this gift in such a way he said now that I, that I have seen the fulfillment of, of your promise and, and the one that shall come to save Israel I am ready to die well I don't suppose there's too much after that really and now that uh, this man was able to see what you and I have today and he was able to see it so beautifully only God could do a thing like this certainly wasn't lodged in the mind of Isaiah alone for him to be able to see so perfectly what you and I would experience in this hour in which we live. The perfect gift has been given to us. And that's what Isaiah was trying to say. And that's what this man of long ago was caught up in. And this is what you and I are involved in at this time of the year especially this season of the year. Now the gift. Let's talk about it for just a moment. Three things I'd like to say about this gift. In the first place, I would call to your attention the fact that in this perfect gift that is given to us, a king was given. And it's interesting to note that when people met the Lord Jesus Christ, that they sensed that they were in the presence of royalty. They sensed there's something different about this person. And now, not the kind of king that uh, this world has, but he was a different king, sort of a peculiar type of a king. He was a king uh, that would lead his people, not drive them. He would go before them always. And I remember the last night that he was here upon this earth, he told his disciples, you remember, and talking about uh, his adventure, going, leaving this life and going back to be with God. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Fulfilling the promise that was made of long ago that he would be a different type of a king. And then his army, that those who belonged to him, his equipment and his power and his might would be uh, something used in a different way. They would not be equipped with instruments uh, of death and destruction to subdue people. But it would be a different type of power that would be, be used. The strangest kind of power. The power that is found in love. 
Well, that is a switch, isn't it? And dear ones, it has not changed today. Our orders are one and the same as it was that Isaiah was able to say 2,000 years before it happened. And they're the same 2,000 years after it happened for you and for me today. Uh, the ruling power uh, will be one of love. And the strangeness of this king is matched with the strangeness of his kingdom. It is a kingdom that is on this earth, and yet it is not really a part of the earth because it is different from. And the strangeness about this kingdom could be marked by two or three things. Number one, this kingdom is one that includes all people, all people. Now when a ruler comes, even the best of them, hacking and hewing and cutting out a kingdom, as we are being a witness to today, and our people, some of them, some 50 of them, are involved in it. What a disappointment it was to know that this man who claims to know God, that would come hacking, hewing, and cutting the way that he did and is, and in his kingdom that he is trying to set up, as always with the earthly kingdom, there are those that he includes, and there are those that he excludes. There are those he tolerates, and there are those that he kills. And there are those that he enslaves and tries to force them to be, to be his, his servant. But not so with this kingdom. Not so. It's a kingdom that takes in all people everywhere. And this kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Oh, the Pharisees, the coming of the Jesus, they thought theirs was uh, eternal. I was, as some of you were involved in one by the name of Hitler who said his uh, reign would be a, a thousand years. And so with iron and steel, he tried to cut out, a, cut out a kingdom and nearly did it. But there were those that he enslaved and those that he marked to kill. And his kingdom did not last too long. But the kingdom that you and I belong to and have a possibility of belonging to and is marked in such a beautiful way this time of the year is one that is eternal. The strange claim of these people though are not to be supermen or superperson. We have no claim to fame outside of the fact that we claim the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. And we have been called to serve all people everywhere. Maybe the question that needs to be asked from the heart and mind of each of us is as we realize we are citizens of this kingdom and the kind of king that you and I have that we honor today, what type of a citizen are you? Are you faithful to your understanding of this king and his kingdom. There's a second thing, and this is more beautiful even than the concept of a king because we have lost, and the king concept has been tarnished today with us. But the Jewish people thought of the king as being something fantastic and wonderful as in the day of David. But maybe for us the perfect gift would be more perfectly revealed in the second thing, and that is that the the perfect gift is one that was sent to us as a counselor. 
the mighty counselor. And dear ones, I would like to point out to you in the first place what a counselor is not, because we have some confusion here. A counselor, in its best sense, he is not a judge. He is not a judge. You cannot be a judge and be a counselor at the same time, never. Now the people tried to make Jesus to be a judge. And all you'd have to do is read in the book of Luke and the book of John, somewhere about the 12th and the 8th chapter, and you'd be able to find how desperately the people tried to make the Lord Jesus Christ a judge. But he pointed out to us in a very clear way that God did not commission him to be a judge. And those of us who follow in his way, do we know this? Or have we set ourselves to be a judge? Or do we act in such a way that one observing us well, I think that we have been called to be a judge, a counselor. A counselor in its best sense is not one that tells another person what to do. Now that sounds strange, doesn't it? But you know there's a strange quirk in all of us that is a very interesting thing to behold sometime. And that is when difficulty and hardships come to us and we get distressed, and we want to look for someone to tell us what to do. And I can still hear my old professor in this department of, of psychology in graduate school uh, saying to us again and again, you do not tell people in a counseling situation what to do. You don't tell them what to do. But I remember one time I took it on myself to tell a lady what to do. And I remember she was having trouble with her husband. <clears throat> That was a unique situation. No, that's something we all have, don't we? Well, anyway, she was having trouble with her husband more than usual. And over a period of about six months talking to her, I was not making any headway, and, and she was just telling me what a bad person he is. And I, I told her, I said, well, why, I said, why don't you, uh, why don't you go to him and, and try to be firm with him? And as soon as I said, be firm, I knew I had said the wrong thing. I just knew I'd said the wrong thing. And it wasn't a week later, but what he gave me a call one night, uh, must have been about 11 or 12 o'clock, you know, somehow or another we just never get around to being mean to one another until late at night. Well, anyway, he was locked out of the house. And he was right distressed about it, and he was mad at me, and it didn't take me long now to find the connection. And he said, she won't let me in, and I hollered through the door, and let me in. She says, no, I'm not going to do it because the preacher told me not to. <laughs> well, it took me some time to convince him because he was a little bit inebriated uh, that, that I hadn't exactly said that. But she had taken it to mean that, uh, that she was to use any force that she wanted to, to to try to correct her situation. Well, the counselor in the best sense is there's not one that tells you what to do. You see, isn't it interesting that God will not make a decision for you? Not even God will. It is something that he leaves to us and the counselor that you and I have and the Lord Jesus Christ is, is such a beautiful one. He will not tell us what to do, but he will help us to do what we know we ought to do. The mark of a true counselor is one that makes me feel accepted. Oh, thank God. For the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm afraid that God was right, that we would not feel accepted if it had been left up to the law. 
The only way that you and I feel accepted within the kingdom at the deepest level of our heart and soul is because the Lord Jesus Christ has accepted us. And it's not because of my goodness and my righteousness, but it's because of his love. And when that comes through so beautiful, it came through with Zacchaeus. If, you know, I run into people and they say, well, when I do this or when I do that, when I leave this bad thing off and I do the other, well, I, I am going to come to church. Well, folks, if you could be all that God intended for you to be, he made a terrible mistake when he sent Christ into the world. Christmas is meaningless. But a counselor is one that, like he did with Zacchaeus, went into his home and, and had a meal with him. And he knew that he was accepted. I think about Mary, the one that carried the resurrection message of the Lord Jesus Christ. There would have been no message carried by this woman if she had not felt in his presence that she was accepted. There's a great old hymn, we seldom sing it, but it has great lines to it and a great message. And it says, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, without one plea. Well, that's it. I have no defense outside of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a, what a wonderful counselor we have. A counselor is one that listens. We talk and walk together as good friends often do. Uh, to God do we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and he listens. He listens to us. Oh, how wonderful it is to have someone to listen. I've had people to call me from across this country uh, just to have someone to listen. I know you will listen. What one of us have not found that time and that part within our life where we needed someone just to listen to what we had to say? You have a counselor in the Lord Jesus Christ. A counselor is one that understands. Oh, I would have come, how many times have I heard this? I would have come to the Lord a long time ago. I would have come to church a long time ago. I would have come to talk about this difficult problem if I had of knowing that you would understand. How can the church understand? How will those people understand? They live on a hill. I live in the valley. They have everything. I have nothing. They are good people. I'm a bad person. How can they understand? And how will they understand? I don't know. But you know, dear ones, I have discovered through the years that the most understanding people that I have ever met in my life are those who are truly committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. But look why the distortion that we have given of church, of the church of the body of Christ and of us, when you can go to the local tavern here anywhere, on any one given night, and they will tell you, those who wait upon them, that the reason they are there is to have someone Someone to try to understand them. And we have taken this beautiful concept and this beautiful way that God has given to us and turned it into something that is not in keeping with the one that we say we are committed to. We don't have to agree with the way someone lives in order to understand them and to reach out to try to be of help to them. 
regardless of which way we act. The old hymn, too, of long ago is still the same. What a friend. What a friend I have in Jesus. It is still so. But wouldn't you expect the great place upon the face of this earth that is still left where understanding could be had would be within the church? I remember a testimony that uh, a man gave in writing. A preacher gave. And he said when he was a young preacher that he was sent to a church and it was a very dignified church in a small town. And he said he went there and he did the best he could for about two or three months. And he knew that things were not right. His best effort seemed to go for naught. He, he was not able to sense or to feel anything. And he was not able to really to make contact, he thought, with his people and with the ones that God had, had called apart and to be a part of his body. And he knew that the day would soon come when, when those who had the responsible position to talk to him about his stay at the church, that, uh, that they would come and talk to him. And he said, really one time, just about this time of the year, that uh, they sent uh, a group of three men to talk to him. said, preacher, we want to talk to you. And he said he knew why they were there. And he, they walked into the sanctuary and sat down to the front of the church. And he said that he was hoping that they would hurry up and get it over with. And in fact, he said to the one that uh, was the chairman of the committee, he said, well, go ahead and, and say what you have come to say. Because he knew full well what they were going to say to him, that you have failed. You have not been able to measure up to our expectations, and our church senses nothing, and we will have to make other arrangements. He said when the man got up and walked toward the altar to speak to him, he says, Preacher, he says, we have come to tell you that we are 100% behind you. And with you. And he says, I want to tell you something else. He says, as you watch in this town, at this time of the year, the smoke go up from our chimneys, you will know that those who belong here are supporting you with their love and with their prayers. We have a counselor. We are committed to him. We are a people who are called to understanding and concern and love. That is the one you name as your Savior and as your Lord. And dear ones, let us never forget it. Especially, how can we? at this time of the year. Then the last place, and this is the most beautiful of all, <clears throat> a king is in this gift, a counselor is in this gift, and then he says a savior, a savior. 
How can we think of Christmas unless we think of a Savior? A Savior has been given to you and to me. Basically, there are two ways that a Savior works for you and for me. John tells us, there in that first chapter, I think it's about maybe the, between the 10th and the 14th verses, you will notice he's talking about what Jesus is able to do. He says that he has the ability and capability to empower you to be the Son of God. Now, isn't that fantastic? Isn't that fantastic? He has the power to make you, to enable you to be the Son of God. That's the most fantastic thing in the world when you stop to think about it. When I look at myself and know where I'm from and who I am, and know what the lowest state uh, that I come from, and to think that there's one who is eternal, that is a king and a counselor and my savior that has the power to make me part of the kingdom of God. Oh, I may have not been anything, but I am now. Not on my own. Through the gift of God, I have a savior that has the ability and capability of making me part of the eternal kingdom of God. And my friends, what I claim for my own heart and soul, I claim equally as well for you. Isn't that beautiful? Secondly, I would like to think of it the way that Paul experienced it of long ago. When he wanted to be something so great in God's kingdom and found that he had certain limitations. And in these limitations that Paul had, he called one of, them, one of them a thorn in the flesh. Whatever it was, I don't know. But whatever it was that hindered him from being the person that he wanted to be for God. And in that instance, you remember, he says, I talked to the Lord three times about this, but the Lord gave me the answer in this way. He said, in effect, I'm not going to remove it. You're going to have to live with this imperfection, but the thing that I will do, he says, my grace is sufficient. In other words, I have already taken care of it, Paul, at the place where it needs to be taken care of. I have squared it with God. I've paid the price. The debt has been paid. Now go ahead and do the best you can and don't bother me with this anymore. Now, folks, if there are those things that are disturbing you and you think you might be a better person, well, maybe you ought to talk to the Lord, but somewhere, someplace, you ought to leave it off and go on and be the person that you can be even with the limitation that you have. That's the way that it is. You know, I think about this angel of long ago and this tremendous message. Well, it was wonderful. The angel is right when he said you should rejoice with a great joy because I want to tell you over there in the city of David a Savior has been born. And hope that not only takes our best studying today to know what that means to us, but I have a feeling we're going to be tied up in eternity still discovering the greatness of that happening of long ago. I have a feeling that the most wonderful thing that we're going to be involved in in the ages to come is still trying to do what we're doing right now, and that is to understand how great and wonderful our God is.
and what a place that he has given to us in his kingdom. Oh, our Father, help us at this time of the year especially to be sensitive to you and to your call and to your need. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 